What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today is our post-race debrief. If you missed the last episode, which was my pre-race check-in, go give that a listen. It should be the last episode uploaded on the podcast. I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, goes over just my thoughts and strategies going into the race this weekend, which was a, a half marathon, my first race ever. Uh, trained for about six months for it. Just kind of went through some of my thoughts on fueling. A lot of the things we're going to go over today, but just more of in a prospective way than a looking back on it sort of way. Um, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about fueling strategy, kind of how it went, how was my run-walk strategy, thoughts on training in hindsight, what did I think of the taper, and just some other stuff um, that I learned as a first-time racer. I'd never done an endurance event before. I'd never done a race before. I'd never actually done any, any running before. Um, not in the last, like, 12 years, at least, uh, after sports were over. And um, so, yeah, definitely would go back and listen to that episode, you know, if you're interested in my thoughts beforehand. But, you know, whatever. If you're here, you're here. And we're going to talk a lot about that stuff as well. And so the race was this weekend. It was in Pocahontas State Park in Virginia. Uh, it was a half marathon. And, yeah, it was a beautiful uh, – it was not a beautiful day. Actually, funny enough, I was – refreshing the weather every, you know, whatever, just not neurotically, but just trying to see what the weather was like, mostly because it said 100% chance rain. The race started at nine and it said 100% chance rain from nine, basically through nine tomorrow or last night. Um, essentially like not 50%, not 70, it was going to rain. Uh, and I talked to my coach and we said, you know, whatever, that means it's going to be a little bit more humid. That's suboptimal, but the rain might feel really nice and cool you off and it, it might all be fine. Um, and I thought this was going to be like on a hard trail. So on a trail, I knew it was in the woods. It was it was on the Bright Hope Trail, whatever. Um, but looking back on it, I'll tell you what happened. It didn't rain at all. And it was actually a be- not a beautiful day in terms of sunny, but a beautiful day. It was cloudy. It was definitely humid, which was suboptimal. But it, it you know, it kind of, I kind of was in good spirits. The fact that it wasn't raining because it would have been muddy as shit. And that would have been brutal. And so, yeah, all things considered, that's why I kind of said it was a beautiful day because I was feeling really happy that it wasn't raining, which is great. Um, so a couple caveats here, disclaimers before we jump jump in. This is my first race ever. Uh, I have been training with a, a, an awesome coach, Alex Viata, for the last six months. We've been coaching and mentoring. Uh, he's been mentoring me as an endurance athlete, but also as a coach who wants to coach people who want to improve their endurance and cardiovascular work and, and take their cardio more seriously and, and train for races. And so it's been a crash course uh, with Alex for the last six months, and I've learned a ton, but I don't know everything. I've only raced one time, so there are things about racing in general that I'm no expert on from an experience experiential point of view. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been learning absolutely everything I can for the last six months, and I've learned a ton I'm sure I'll learn more the more I train, the more races I do. And so for now, these are just my thoughts after just having run one race. So I don't pretend to be an expert on all things racing. Just wanted to share. Um, cool. I'm going to try and keep this podcast 45 minutes, take the doggos out uh, afterwards. They are taking a nap next to me here uh, for those of you guys on YouTube, on the old YouTubes. Um, cool. First topic we're going to go through is the fueling. So I had a fueling strategy. Long story short, my fueling strategy was that I was going to pack all of my nutrition on me. If you look at pictures of, you know, this is all my experience of people running races, none of them have, not none of them, but a smaller percentage than I would have thought have, you know, little backpacks or camelbacks, um, water bottles on them. Like a lot of people, the majority of people don't. And what that tells me is they're going to, 
use the aid and water stations that are available on the course. And that's fine, but I will just say that I don't, I don't, I think that you, there are, these people are leaving some bit of benefit on the table. Um, what I mean by that is that you could have all your nutrition more optimally arranged and it doesn't cost you a lot. Uh, it doesn't cost you a lot of time or it's not super complicated. doesn't cost you a lot of weight on your body. Um, and I just felt felt like that I really benefited from that. There, there were definitely plenty of people in the, te- in the half marathon race that had a little backpack, a little camelback or something like that. But I, I still, the, a, a lot of them did not, which means... You know, there were like two water stations on the course and we did a couple of laps. So you went by them several times, but you didn't know what was in there. You know, it's, you, you had to drink it all there. You couldn't like take smaller sips necessarily while you're running. I'm sure you could could run with the cup of water or whatever. Um, It just kind of felt like, hey, like, you know, I felt like a little bit like an odd man out. I, you know, I have all my water on me. I have two liters of my Pedialyte. I have my, my little, if I'm, you know, I used a cup, I used two little gels um, you know, it just, it was just kind of thinking like, you know, it doesn't cost you a lot to have that all arranged. And, and I, I would share that as a piece of advice for people that are looking to do their first race. It's not a complicated, intricate, scary thing, you know, to have three quarters of a liter to a liter per expected hour of running. And to do that with an isotonic solution is not, I know it sounds fancy. There's just so many options to, to utilize that. Um, and then maybe throw in, some carbohydrates if you're doing like a half marathon or longer or something like that. The, the isotonic solution has carbs in it, but um, if you're running a longer race, you might need more carbs. So that's my little shtick on that. I feel like uh, for recreational runners who aren't extreme, if you're extremely, uh, you know, uh, advanced experienced runner and you you tell me that you have a strategy that doesn't involve that, I trust you. You're very experienced. That's awesome. But I do think that there, I you know, I just was watching how people were, utilizing the aid station and it didn't intuitively make me feel like, oh, that's a good strategy. It made me feel like, oh, you're like chugging an arbitrary amount of water. You probably need more than this over the course of the race. You have to kind of stop for a second. Yeah, it didn't feel like the most optimal strategy for me. Um, It might be different if you're running like a 5K or something where like it's not as big of an issue at all, but like a long race, you're sweating a lot, got to hydrate a lot. And so that, that, that was my thoughts. Anyway, my fueling strategy was to have those, I had two liters on me, which was going to cover me for two hours and change. And I technically didn't drink enough. And so when I went home, I emptied out, you know, I took my water bottles and the, and the bladder pack out of my backpack. And I looked at how much I had left and I had like 600 milliliters left, which means I only drank about 1.4 liters, which was less than what I think would have been optimal. But in the moment I felt good. And so I probably was in the ballpark of good enough. Uh, You know, that's like 700 mils per hour maybe a little 600 mils per hour. I went over, uh, two hours. Um, and so I probably could have drank more. And in hindsight, that's a learning experience, you know, the way and the kind of the cadence in which I was taking sips, I probably could have either taken bigger sips or had sips more often, but there was probably a little bit of room for me to more appropriately hydrate, but, uh, between proper hydration before the race and then getting kind of close enough in that ballpark, I I felt fine and certainly wasn't a, a big talking point. Um, what else? Yeah, so I use a, a Solomon skin. It's good. Solomon's a brand. It's called the ADV Skin Five, and it's a backpack. It just is. I just rarely do I come in contact with the product. This isn't an ad, by the way. I don't have any affiliation, but the product is awesome. This bag, it's like a 
It's like a backpack, right? It's like a camelback, right? But it, it has the capacity for so much stuff and little pockets for like specific things, there's a little trash bag, whatever. Like it's awesome and it does not feel like you're carrying a lot of weight. It, it, it's called skin, obviously, for to make it feel like it doesn't, it's attached to you. It really did feel like that. It, it, it was awesome. Would, would recommend, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Cool. What about my run walk strategy? So I talk a little bit about this in the previous podcast. I've talked about it in, in other podcasts um, about my endurance strategy here. Basically that I'm not really fit enough to run this with an efficient technique at an efficient pace for the entirety of the race. You know, I would go as far as to say, not that this is a, I know this is a ridiculous kind of absolute statement, but I feel like, so my plan was run for six and a half minutes, walk for one minute and 30 seconds, run for six and a half minutes, walk for one one thirty, And that was my strategy, not arbitrarily. I had utilized and kind of curated this strategy over many six months of training, realizing that this was a really good cadence for me, six and a half minutes of running at a certain pace that was very efficient for me, and then a minute and a half of walking. And basically what I was doing was I would run at a 9.30 pace-ish for six and a half minutes and then walk, you know, whatever, at a 20-minute pace for one minute. And that would kind of net out to like a 10.30 pace. If some of those 9.30s got a little bit slower, it was about a 10.30 pace. Now, the truth is I can't run a 10.30 for the entire race. If I run 10.30 the whole time, I won't be able to. But I can do 9.30 for six and a half and then a 20-minute mile pace for for one and a half minutes. And that, over the course of the race, it will average a 10.30. And that, again, I can't run a 10.30 the whole time. I don't want to go back into this, but that's because a 10.30 is a pretty inefficient technique. And it's going to cost me a little bit too much energy to run with that sort of a gait. And so running a little bit faster means I'm going to be a little bit more efficient, but it just means I can't run the whole race that pace. I'm going to have to intermittently walk. Now, walking is also a more efficient technique. Uh, so I'm spending more time doing things that are efficient instead of trying to run the race, you know, without stopping, but going slower. Um, I'd have to ultimately go slower. Now, the the plan went amazingly well. It, I had to do 18 of these intervals to finish the race, and I finished on the 18th interval I, if, if you kind of extrapolate that mathematically out, I w- should finish in about two hours and 20 minutes. I finished in two hours and 20 minutes. It was like just a hair shy of two. It was like 219.5. Um, and in my training, I had done 12 intervals. That was the longest run I had done. I knew I was going to have to do 18 in the race. And so when I hit that 12th interval, you know, that was now uncharted territory. And I was like, hey, I'm starting to get tired, but I'm going to stick to the plan. I'm going to stick to the plan. And no matter what, when that thing says run, I'm going to run. Um, and it the plan worked perfectly. People have asked me in the last 24 hours, how was it? Was it fun? Did you have a good time? I had a blast. You know why I had a blast? Not because the actual race itself was a blast. I don't really... I don't, I don't really love running. Like, I'm not, like, having a blast out there. That's just not, that's not how I would describe it. But what I have a lot of fun with is, is the whole experience of planning and prepping and training and iterating the strategy, stra- just strategizing around where you're at, extrapolating, kind of projecting where you'll be, uh, and the logic behind creating a race strategy. And then watching that, come to fruition, watching that plan that you've worked on come into play and work out really well was just incredibly satisfying. You know, I wasn't, I knew that I could do 12 intervals, but I didn't know if I could do 18. Um, You know, I I was confident that I could, but I just, it was uncharted territory. And just like the, the act of beginning the training and 
you know, there were moments where we thought I was going to do this at an eight-minute uh, run with a one-minute walk, and it turned into a 6.30, 1.30 because eight and one was too much. And just watching that whole process come to fruition on race day and be a, just an absolute home run of a strategy. And I say that because if it's a home run strategy, once you get over the finish line, you don't think you could do much more. I mean, that's a successful strategy. You don't want to have a lot in the tank when you're done. You want to empty the tank. You want to do your best for the distance that you have, not leave, you know, not be like, yeah, I could do another couple miles. No, I was toast at the end of this race. I I had basically the same split on the first half as I did on the second half. Um, it was actually was slightly a negative split, which means the second half of my race was actually slightly faster than the first half, which I'm kind of proud of. I think... I think what what's more important is to have it as even of a split as you can. Um, but having a negative split is probably a more enjoyable race experience. If you have a positive split, what that means is you run really fast in the beginning and you run a slower back half. And that usually manifests in a more tiresome race experience. And so I'm pretty proud of that. And again, I, I would just continue to say that I don't love running. I'm going to talk a little bit more about you know what's next at the end. But I don't love running. What I loved is is watching this plan that we had worked on come into practice, come to fruition, be implemented, and and along the way know that I was going to do it and be like, yeah, we we really crushed it. This this plan is going to work great. And so, yeah, I finished in, uh, anything else on this? I finished in 219.5, and yeah, it, it, was, it was just like to a T exactly as we expected it to be, which is not always the case. I got to say, even if even if the the race was too hard or it was too easy, if that strategy was too hard or too easy, it would have been a great learning experience. I was prepared for that. Um, I, I knew when we were we said we were going to do this that you know it was either going to work great or be too hard or be too easy, and either way that was going to be a good learning experience. And so yeah, it was a more it was a really enjoyable day. Not because I love running, but I just knew in my head I was watching this plan unfold that we had worked so hard on. So what are some of my thoughts on my training in hindsight? Um, I'm reading off some notes here. So training specificity definitely matters. Maybe not so much for stimulus, but for psychology. So what do I mean? When I say training specificity, I mean training in a way that looks like your race. So training at your race pace, or in my case, training with the exact type of intervals that I'm going to have to do. Now, that might sound like, hey, if you do that, you'll get fit in the right way you will get in shape for that task by doing that task. And that's not completely logically flawed, but that's not necessarily where the benefit is because I could have been training with different interval schemes, you know, slightly different styles of of length to distance intensity relationships, and I could have built a lot of fitness and I probably could have done just as well with different training style. But... um, there was a specificity from a psychological perspective where, like I said, I had done 12 intervals of this exact race strategy. And doing that gave me the confidence that I knew I could do 18 of them. And that that specificity and the confidence that I gained could only be gained from doing it exactly like I'm gonna do it on race day. And that doesn't mean that that, that has to, you have to take that to the nth degree, but I think that there's time spent with your race strategy that, a, helps you iterate that strategy if you're off base, right? If, 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 if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a lot of training in my race strategy, but it's really way too hard. It's like, great, well, then you should change that strategy. But the second thing is if and when you find a strategy that does work is building confidence there because you're never actually going to run a half marathon 
during your half marathon training. You're not going to go out there, run for two hours. There's a diminishing return in terms of the benefit. And so, you know, right around that 12 intervals, like an hour and a half-ish, is kind of where that cutoff is. But doing a race, doing a run about that length, you know, not the whole race, an hour and a half, at, with my race strategy gave me a lot of confidence. And so I really feel like that when we talk about longer workouts, longer runs, a lot of people might go the route of talking about the physiological benefits. Of course, longer runs, you know, longer interval sessions, there's a big adaptation, there's a big stimulus from them. But some of it is just getting out there on your feet for 90 minutes and psychologically kind of dealing with the things that come up in a 90-minute workout. How do you stay you know, associated associated or dissociated from what you're doing? How do you stay in it? How do you deal when things get hard? You know, putting yourself out there and, and when it comes to race day, having the confidence that you know you can do it because you've done something like it, you know? So I, I'm really happy with that. Um, um, what else? Yeah, I'm really happy that we gradually increased volume. When I started with Alex, I told him that I, every time I've ever done sports, I've gotten shin splints. And he said, not this time. Um, so we used the, the bike heavily in my training, which is no impact. And we really slowly, gradually increased volume on the pavement, so to speak. And I, I showed up on race day feeling fantastic. I had no pains, no niggles, nothing just felt great. Um, and, and that I bet you, I bet you if you're a runner or something like that, like that, that seems like that won't last that as as you run for longer and longer, you just kind of, kind of rolling through some aches and pains here and there. Um, and so whatever, I, I felt great. I didn't have shin splints and I, and I, I'm, you know, was able to show up and do a successful race from a time perspective, successful for me. Um, but I also was not in pain, which means we didn't underdo it and we didn't overdo it. And I'm very proud of that. And I definitely will take that with me because, you know, nothing would have been worse than being like, yeah, you have the aerobic capacity. You have the metabolic capacity to do this, but you know, you have shin splints that would have been brutal, you know? I would have been, like, not tired, but in pain, and that would have been a really, really rough psychological thing to deal with. If I did all the training, showed up for the race, was in shape, but in pain, that would have sucked. Um, Yeah, and then the other thing I wrote was that anyone who's not fit enough to run a sub-nine-minute, and again, I'm being super absolute here, but I'm just trying to make a point. If you're not fit enough to run, let's say, sub-nine minutes, for the entirety of the race, continuously. And what I mean by that is um, that running an efficient pace, which for most people is, in, is like sub nine minutes, an efficient technique for the entire race, which by the way is super duper fit. If you're running a half marathon, it's sub nine minute splits. That is an incredibly fit person. And if you are not that, then you, I, in my opinion, would benefit, doesn't, I'm not saying you have to, but you would benefit from having a more specific walk-run strategy. And what I mean is there were people in this race, and here's what I'm going to just, I'm going to say, um, so I was running six and a half minutes on, one and a half minutes off, which means I was doing that from the start of the race, which means six and a half minutes into the race, I stopped and I started walking. Right when I stopped and started walking, hundreds of people passed me. And whatever, I don't give a shit. I, I could, you know, you could get caught up in the, you know, they probably think I'm a little bitch. I don't care. I have a strategy. I'm sticking to it. You know, my watch dinged and I went off to the side and I walked. And there were a lot of good runners that I thought that I was watching go by that I'm like, wow, these guys are going to kill it. And then there were some people that, you know, I, I thought um, were already maybe struggling. And I'm like, oh, like, um, you know, they're, 
they're probably less fit. Am I am I being a dick there? No, I just whatever. I'm, you, you get to the soccer field, you're watching the guys kick around. You're you're making judgments on who's good and who's not. Nobody's saying you're that, that you are correct. But I was watching people pass me, and I was thinking, not in a malicious way. I was thinking, how many of these people am I going to pass later? Because they just went out of the gate and said, I'm going to run till I'm tired, then walk till I feel better, then run till I'm tired, then walk till I feel better. And how many of these people should have developed a walk-run strategy that paced them for the entirety of the race? And, and I'm not saying I went on to pass hundreds of people, but I passed a lot of those people that were passing me in the middle of the race. They were walking kind of arbitrarily where I had more of a compartmentalized kind of specific strategy. And so if you can run the whole race with a, Efficient technique in that like nine minute mile or less, you're super fit and you don't need to run walk strategy. You should just do that. But if you're like me and you're less fit, then having a concise strategy, I think has plenty of benefit that I would do it. Um, there were just a lot of people that, you know, 30, 40 minutes into the race, they had kind of, you know, what we would call, we huh, would call burning a match. They kind of just like burnt out in that first hour of the race and then, the second half of the race was like a lot of like sluggish run walk kind of arbitrarily. And when you're, let me just be clear, when you're arbitrarily deciding where the end point is and you're like, I'm going to run and I'm going to wait until I feel tired, then you're constantly thinking about how tired you feel, right? Because you are waiting to for that tiredness to cross a threshold and then you'll start walking. Where for me, I my watch dinged and I was like, okay, I'm running for six and a half minutes. And my end goal where I got some relief was at the was was very clear. It was at the end of that six and a half minutes. And I just saw, I just thought to myself, man, if I had to decide where that was, if I had to say, I'm going to start running now and I'm going to stop just kind of arbitrarily when I get tired to walk because I know I can't do the next five miles without stopping, then I would only be thinking about how shitty I'm feeling. And it would be mentally, at the very least, not as enjoyable, but I bet not as fast of a finish. Cool. That's my thoughts. I don't want to be elitist about it and say you can't just go out there and do your thing. Of course you can. I'm just saying there's probably a benefit to, for us less fit people who are not endurance junkies, who aren't fucking going out there and crushing nine sub nine minute continuous miles. Like I think that's incredibly, um, I think that's amazing. I, I, I think that that's such a crazy cool thing to be able to do. But I can't, I can't, I'm not there right now. Um, and so that run walk really just, I, again, I'm not saying I went on to pass hundreds of people and I'm like, ah, everyone should, you guys should have been running and walking, but there were enough of them that I thought, man, this has got to be less fun for you kind of deciding on the fly. When do I feel so tired that I need to stop instead of say, you know, there were times where I wanted to stop, but my watch said, just go for two more minutes and I'll give you a, a 90 second break. And, and that ability to kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel and compartmentalize that larger goal into smaller goals was super helpful. All right, number five my taper was awesome. Like, like I felt really great. Like I had, it felt like when I showed up for the race, I told Jen, I was like, I feel like I haven't run in a while. Um, the f two weeks out from the race, I dropped my volume by 25%. Um, so I, instead of, and realistically that, that drop in volume came from my interval training because it's the highest intensity work I'm doing. And so bringing that down a little bit was going to have the greatest impact on, on re reduction in fatigue. So instead of doing, let's, I'm going to make this up. Instead of doing 20 intervals of my race uh, interval strategy per week, I went down to 15 intervals two weeks out. And then the week before, I went down to 10 intervals. So I went down to 50% of my normal volume. 
Uh, and then 72 hours, 48 hours to 72 hours, I did nothing. I took completely off. And I showed up to that race day and I got out of the car and I had to go run to the to the bathrooms, which we'll talk about in a second. And I felt great. You know, on Wednesday before my race, the race was Sunday. On Wednesday, I went out for a very short, I did three or four intervals, really short, just to, just to keep uh, my my pace, my technique, just to go through kind of the motion of the race a little bit. And my anterior tibs were were sore. And I'm like, damn, my anterior tibs are really sore. And I even had to talk to my with my coach about the use of ibuprofen and how that plays a role and how that can slash should or shouldn't be utilized. Because I was like, well, if I'm in this much pain, like I, I, I can't imagine how I'm gonna feel later in the race. And more so, I was just interested in that topic and, and that was kind of the impetus for me. But I felt amazing on race day. And so that taper was great. It was not too much, not too little. I felt awesome. I was like, my legs feel good. My shins feel good. My tibs feel good. Aerobically, neurologically, I feel good. And so that taper was great. My lifts, ironically, my lifts, I didn't even taper them, if I'm going to be honest with you. I, I took, I tapered my leg training for sure. So I'm doing three full body lifts right now. And all of my upper body training stayed the same. Intensity, volume stayed the same. But my leg training, I, I cut the volume in half. So instead of two sets of stuff, I was just doing one set of stuff. But my my I was thinking to myself, my training, my actual lifts, they're pretty low volume. I mean, they're very low volume. So when I was thinking about the taper, I'm like, yo, these are, yo, I was like, these are barely fatiguing me anyways. If I just drop from two sets of hack squat or two sets of what, leg extensions and ham curls, like are those really like neurologically fatiguing me? Not really, but yeah, okay. I want my legs to kind of, from a muscular perspective, feel pretty fresh. So I just dropped that down to one set. But other than that, I trained regularly. Um, yeah, so taper was great. I think that that was a big help. Uh, I It did the trick of me feeling fresh. I did feel like I hadn't run in a while, which I was nervous about. I'm like, wow, I, like, I haven't really done a hard run in like a week and a half. Um, but nonetheless... I suppose that that's part of it when you've been doing something for a long time and then you start to do less of it. It feels like you haven't done it in a while, but it worked out really well. Uh, okay, we got a couple more here. Um, other people slash adrenaline. So some people are like, oh, you're gonna get adrenaline. Other people, you know, running with other people, it's gonna like, you know, boost your adrenaline. You get pumped up. You know, maybe I'm just not, I'm not good enough at this thing yet. Let me just, let me just, I'm not good enough to feel pressure. So I had really, and I know that pressure is not necessarily what people mean, but pressure, adrenaline, excitement, I really didn't have a lot of that because I'm just out there totally recreationally, totally for myself. Like the better you are the and the more you even think about winning or, or finishing in a certain place bracket or something, the more I could see that adrenaline kicking in. All right, this is just for me. I'm not, maybe other people just get out there and they get a nice vibe from being with people and but I was certainly like, I have my strategy. I'm running my race. I'm, I got my music. I got my shit I'm listening to. And I, I, I yeah, I, okay, fine. If I'm going to, if I'm going to say anything, it was nice that later in the race, when the pack kind of split up into what you'd be running, essentially, like people who were running really fast all ran together and, and so on. Um, it was nice to see that there were certain people near me that I could, keep pace with and know that we're floating around each other, playing a little bit of leapfrog, going in front of each other a little bit. But I knew that roughly how fast she was going over there is how fast I need to be going. Or, hey, don't lose her. Or, hey, there was a guy that was like 100 yards in front of me 
with like two miles to go. And I was like, Jordan, you're going to beat him. Not because I'm some fucking egomaniac that like some competitive maniac, but like I want that, that to me like was helpful to give me a push. I was like, just beat this one guy. I saw that guy at the beginning of the race. I saw him, you know, he passed me early on and I'm like, just beat him. And, and, and yeah, I actually, I, f- I think I finished quite strong. I think my last three intervals were my fastest, fastest just by a little bit. And, and I think that that was helpful. What about my playlist? I had a whole strategy where I was going to listen to a playlist with the same BPM of my cadence so that I could kind of sync up my technique and my running with the beat of the music, which I think is an amazing strategy. I actually think it's awesome and works incredibly well, but I am a soccer fanatic and my soccer team was playing directly when the race started at nine o'clock. I'm a big Arsenal fan. And so I thought, let me see how I do listening to the game. Maybe that's a good dissociative technique. Maybe that's a good way for me to dissociate and to kind of just run my race, focus on the game that I'm listening to, keep my cadence. And if I start to if I start to go too fast or too slow because I don't have the benefit of the music to kind of just keep me in, in check a little bit, then I'll switch over to the music because the race was more important to me. Um, but as I was listening to the game, I was actually enjoying it. Uh, I, I, I'm, again, I'm a soccer nut and this was a big game and I was really did not want to miss it. And I... And I I, I kind of was laughing because I was like, I could do anything while listening to my soccer team, even just listening, not even watching. Um, I was like, I, I was like, I could do this. Like, I really just want to listen to the game. So for the first almost two hours, I'd say, you know, the first hour and 50, I listened to the game. At halftime, I put my music on and I really did enjoy it. I was like, ooh, the music is kind of helpful. Um, just syncing up my cadence a little bit, just to, just to calibrate a little bit with the music was helpful. Uh, so at halftime for like 15, 20 minutes, I listened to the music and then the last half hour of the race. And what I will say is that isn't necessarily a bad strategy because the music probably has a diminishing return in terms of like how much it pumps you up neurologically, how much uh, kind of kind of um, extra gas in the tank it gives you. And the fact that I only had to use it or I only did use it really for that last half hour meant that when I kind of needed that boost the most, it was there. I'm thinking of like fucking Fast and the Furious where they like hit the NOS and like it's always the case in these stupid movies, whoever hits the NOS and gets the speed boost first ends up losing, right? It's like classic, classic Fast and the Furious. Like he hit the NOS too soon, bro. And so my NOS was the music. And so for the last half hour, it, it like gave me an RPE reduction. It like gave me a, a mental boost, which was really, it was kind of like not how I planned it, but I knew in my head that, that that was a potential outcome. I was like, hey, if I can push a little longer without music and then I kick it up, you know, I've kind of I've kind of been doing that with my weight training as well, like saving music for the really hard sets just so it maintains a really robust effect. All right, moving on. Um, the fatigue was really muscular, not cardiovascular. What I mean by that is this race was tough and when shit got tough, it wasn't that I was huffing and puffing. It wasn't like I was like, huffing and puffing and dying and my cardio, my respiratory system, I couldn't catch my breath. Now, now I was doing that and my heart rate was pretty freaking high, especially for the last quarter of the race, but the fatigue was in my legs. And if anything was going to stop me in this race, it was going to be a quad cramp. Um, it was going to be my hips, um, you know, a calf cramp or something. My hip flexors were starting to get tired. My quads were starting to almost cramp. Uh, towards the end, and that to me was fascinating. 
Because if you ask me, someone who has prided himself on having, you know, big, strong legs my entire life, my entire soccer career, I've been the guy in the middle of the field with the with the strong quads. And, you know, if you told me that my leg strength, and I know that strength is not necessarily the right word, but I just found it funny. I have asthma and I've always thought of myself as someone who cardiovascular, respiratory wise, terrible shape, awful shape. But you ask me about my leg muscles and I'm way more optimistic. I just find it funny that that is not how it played out. That leg muscle um, was ultimately where the fatigue buildup felt like it was happening. I know that it's way more complex than that. It's not as simple as that. They are interconnected. Um, You know, local muscle metabolic systems are things that are actually failing. So is it like the muscle itself that you're not strong enough? It's more complicated than that. But it just was, I felt that it was funny that, man, cardio wise, I'm fit enough for this. My legs are dying though. And I just found that to be funny. I will talk more with my coach about kind of what that means and how we address that. But from the people I've talked to, that's just normal. That is how this happens. Um, I was talking to my friend Brian, who we're gonna get on the pod about his bike race. He's like, oh yeah, totally. Leg leg fatigue is where this kind of is the point, the failure point here. Um, and yeah, the people I've talked to about racing, that is what happens. <laughs> the next I have is uh, the bowel gods. And so for all you guys who prayed to the bowel gods, they answered. Um, I am someone who, when I travel, I tend to not have great bowel movements because there's just like this low level underlying stress when I travel. I don't have my own bed. I don't sleep well. Usually I don't have my own foods. I might not have my own routine. Um, and, and, and I'm not like some like anal like OCD that can't get out of my own routine person, but, but, but that, you know, when I'm on vacation, if you ask me, do I, do I poop as frequently? The answer is no. Um, I don't have as consistent as good bowel movements. And I also know that I have, I've done like practice runs before on Saturday mornings and I've had runs where I have a good bowel movement that morning and some where I don't. And there is a difference to me, uh, in how I feel. And so I woke up and I had, I woke up at six o'clock and then I let the dogs out real quick. And then I came, usually I take the dogs out for a long walk right away in the morning. But what I wanted to do is make sure that I ate first and then went on the walk so that I could use that walk to aid the digestion. So I let the dogs out, came right back in, just let them pee, came back in. Then I ate my breakfast. Then we went for a long walk. I had a couple sips of coffee. I usually wouldn't have coffee that early. But I had like 100, let's say 100 milligrams of caffeine um, with my breakfast, then went out for a walk. And when I came back, the bowel god said, bless up, bless this young man, um, which was super duper clutch. And I think that that was, um, yeah, that, that's relevant. I know it's like a funny thing. People laugh, talk about poop, but like that was relevant to me. That was like a strategy that was important to me because I knew that if I didn't poop, it wasn't gonna feel amazing for a two, two and a half hour race. Um I think peeing, I, I don't know about, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm like hypersensitive to the I have to pee sensation, but I, I tend to be, I tend to notice very quickly when I have to go and then I can't get it off my mind. And so going to the bathroom right before the race, very, very clutch. I was able to get through the race without really feeling like I had to go. Um, but I do wonder what people do on longer races and you know, they, there's many things that people do. Some people just go to the bathroom. Some people take a, what do you call it? Um, oh my God, me and Jenna were talking about this last night. Um, uh, Imodium, right? It's just people do that when you're doing Ironmans and stuff. And so it's found that funny. Um, next, athlete mindset. I posted about this the night before and I just, listen, I don't like running. I don't look forward to my running workouts. I don't look forward to my cardiovascular workouts. Some people do. I don't get a runner's high. I don't, I don't feel that way. I, um, 
I'm not like shitting on it. I just, that's not me. I don't, I'm not like looking forward to it. It's not like my uh, emotional release. It's not something that I feel is like, just like cathartic. I don't really feel that way about it. But competing, just competing, even if I'm not competing against anyone, like I know I'm not competing against anyone. I'm not that good. Everyone, I'm going to finish middle of the pack probably. Um, I think I finished exactly in the middle of the pack, but regardless, um, I'm not actually competing. This isn't, there's nothing actually riding on this, but I used to compete at a pretty high level. And the night before I was like laying out my clothes. I was like going through my morning routine. I was just like looking over some stuff. And I, I was just like, man, like I kind of miss this. I kind of miss having that athlete mentality of like, I want to get my nutrition check. I want to get a good night's sleep. I want to like look up the opposition and like, and like game plan and strategize and, you know, a little bit of butterflies in your stomach you know, again, within context, but I definitely, you know, I, I can't shake the fact that I did enjoy that feeling like an athlete again for a second, you know, of like, you got a big game tomorrow, you know, you're like laying out your jersey and, you know, you're watching highlight clips of like, you know, old soccer players getting your mind right, whatever it is, man. Um, you know, and then you're listening to your pump up music, whatever it is, like, okay, I wasn't doing that, but like those sorts of things, it really did take me back. And I I can't say that it it wasn't fun and I really did enjoy that. So what is next for me? Well, I'm gonna train for a 5K in late March. And that the point of that is to help me learn about programming for shorter, faster races. Um, The difference in programming for a half marathon and a full marathon is not that much. Um, It's not very different. Um, I know that that seems weird. It's double the distance, but they are both distance events and the training for them is incredibly similar. Um, more so than you'd expect for one race being double the distance of the other one. But a 5K is is different enough in terms of the programming and the mentality and the strategy that it will give me something distinctly new to work on. Um, that also will be something I run without intervals. I'm not going to run walk a 5K. We're going to run the 5K. So that is a whole new bucket of bones for me. I don't know, bucket of bones, that's not a saying, but that, that'll be a whole new thing for me because I, even in this race, I ran 6.30, the whole time in a 5K, you know, whatever. Let's say I'm running a, I don't know, 25 to 30 minute 5K. I'm making that up. But I'm running that the whole time. And so that in and of itself will be a cool kind of challenge. And so... Yeah, then we're going to do the whole baby thing. And when the baby gets here, I think I'm going to just put all my training on maintenance. I'm going to have no expectations. Just keep the door, just just focus on, you know, early dad life. And, you know, whenever it comes that I get back on a normal sleeping schedule, I think I'll probably want to train for another half marathon to beat this. And I don't know what's after that. But if you if you if you said, hey, Jordan, you're going to run a marathon, I'd say, yeah, you're probably right at some point. Um, I'll want to, you know, running this half marathon felt to me like I could not do it. When I was talking to my coach about what distance we should pick, I did not think half marathon. I've never run more than three miles at once before ever. And the last time I did was, you know, 12 years ago and I died. Um, but he said that for educational purposes, running the half would be really good to learn more about long, uh, long distance programming. And I also felt, you know what? A 5K doesn't scare me. I'm not saying it's nothing, but it doesn't scare me. A 10K doesn't scare me. The half marathon scared me. And I kind of thought, let's go with that one. There's something about having chosen that, that thing that feels slightly out of reach 
that I like. I'm not saying I I thought at the time that I would never be able to finish, but like I never thought I'd be able to do an okay job at it, which I would say I did an okay job at it. I, I did a great job at executing the plan overall. I did an okay job, um, and and at the time, I, I you know it felt really a, a bit ambitious. It felt like one distance beyond my comfort zone, and and I must say that, you know, as much as I hate saying it, that was a good thing. That was a good idea. And so when I think about running a marathon. I, I gotta tell you, within the first minute of this race being over, I looked at Jenna and I said, a marathon's fucking crazy. I said, it's absolutely crazy to think that I would be halfway done right now, halfway done. But I think that if you ask me what seems crazier, right now, the idea of a marathon, or six months ago, the idea of a half marathon, I, that sounds crazier. Six months ago, the half marathon sounded way crazier than a marathon seems now, even though a marathon right now seems absolutely crazy. So. Whatever, you guys know the drill. I'll keep you in the loop. Still focusing on getting jacked. Still going to be building muscle in, in, in this time period. Um, and so hopefully this was helpful. If I missed anything, I made some notes. Did I miss anything? Yeah, I talked. I guess I can finish with a couple minutes on self-talk. I posted in my newsletter today about understanding what kind of self-talk works for you. And the idea that there is no inherent positive or negative self-talk. This idea that like XYZ certain type of self-talk is good and and other self-talk is bad and you should only ever speak to yourself positively. It's just not true. Like there's like negative experiences, negative emotions and negative self-talk. Like they're not inherently negative. It's almost a misnomer. Um, Because you know, different people are going to respond to different things. And for the goal of pushing through this race when things got hard, I'd be lying if I told you that my self-talk sounded like, hey, you know, be grateful that your body can move. And, you know, you're out in the wi- with this beautiful wilderness. Like, take a deep breath and feel grateful. And, you know, like, it didn't sound like that. It sounded like, don't be a little bitch. You've always been a little bitch who can't run. You know, you've always been the, the least... In, in shape person on the team, not today. How about you just not be a bitch today? That, that you know, people, you know, you're supposed to be someone who can stick to a plan like you trained this whole time. What are you gonna not finish? What are you gonna let this person pass you? Whatever it was, like, you know, almost like creating narratives and then attacking them. You know, creating like false narratives and then attacking them. Um, and so, yeah, just... And, and the truth is, it, that was all done in a healthy mindset. Like, it was not in this, like, dark, self-deprecating way. It was because I knew that that self-talk would get me in a good headspace. And, and sometimes I'd say that stuff, and then I would smile. And I, an RPE hack is smiling. Putting on music and smiling makes me feel so good. Having those kind of, like, moments, you know, saying things like, you know, you can do hard things or, like, you know, um, don't be a bitch. I'm trying to think of some of the other things that would pop up. Um, some, I, yeah, my mind's escaping me. My brain is mush right now. But, um, you know, you could be like, wow, that those are like dark things that you're saying to yourself. Like that, we should explore that in therapy. It's like, yeah, but like, I'm not feeling that way all the time, but I'm utilizing this in a moment where it's going to give me a positive uh, benefit. And I think that we really shy away from negative emotions and negative thoughts and negative self-talk without at least acknowledging when they can be used for good. 
Um, not to get too deep into my therapy, but the last couple of weeks in my therapy, I have been feeling like I've been in a rut social media wise. You know, I, I have however many followers I've had, I've had exactly that many for months. I can't gain one net follower and I'm posting the best content I've ever posted, I think. Um, anyway, anyway, I've been in a, I was in a, a little bit of like a, you know, trending towards a depressive rut because, you know, I need social media and, uh, you know, I need to be there. Um, and I love being there and I love posting content, but I was feeling I wasn't getting anything in return. Anyway, 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 instead of just shunning those negative emotions, um, I, I felt them and I sat with them and I, I knew in my gut, because I know myself this well, that I knew that if I kept feeling them, letting myself feel them, not kicking myself when I'm down, not doing that, but really letting myself feel them, that they would, that sort of rock bottom feeling anywhere you can go, the only way you can go is up sort of mentality that I was gonna recoil and make a positive action. And I did, a couple weeks ago, I spoke with my coach and we worked on a social media strategy that over the last couple of weeks, I think has been working well and I feel really good about it. And so this idea that like these like negative thoughts, negative emotions, guilt, shame, you know, pain, like that you can't feel them and that they're not good, like that's kind of bullshit. And so anyway, I'm getting off topic now, but the whole self-talk thing, specifically from a performance standpoint, I think if you are a performance athlete or you're someone who's interested in performing better better in your weight training workouts or cardio or literally anything, is think about what kind of self-talk works for you. And don't think about what you think you should be saying or what somebody else would say, what self-talk works for you harness it and use it repeat it get it on a on a on your phone that every 30 minutes during your run that sentence pops up so that you can use it for good anyway cool i will cut it off there i'll see you guys in the next episode talk to you soon thanks for tuning in to this episode of where optimal meets practical if you liked the episode it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on itunes that stuff really helps if you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.